Are you exhausted from trying to do everything perfectly? Do you hold yourself back because you're scared of failure? Then I want to tell you about a podcast you should be tuning into. You can break away from the cult of perfection by subscribing and listening to the award-winning Brave Not Perfect podcast. It's hosted by Rishma Sujani. She's the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code and the author of international bestseller Brave Not Perfect. Her TED Talk about teaching girls bravery instead of perfection has over 5 million views. Join Rishma as she shares her secrets about bravery and success because she wants to help you fear less, fail more, and live bolder. Straight up, I have been a guest on this podcast, me, Cami Esposito, and I am recording this right now while there's construction happening outside of my apartment. So yeah, you might hear some background noise, and you know what? I am willing to fail in making this ad. You can tune in and subscribe to Brave Not Perfect wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. Today's podcast is a chat with Imani Rupert-Gordon, who is the executive director of the National Center for Lesbian Rights. They do um, advocacy work through legislation and litigation and are based in San Francisco. But Imani is somebody I actually met when she was working in Chicago at an organization called Affinity. And I was touring at the time and hoping to have folks from local LGBT and queer serving organizations joined me on stage during that tour. And we talked about the work that that they did. Everybody got a round of applause because a lot of times people who do direct service work don't get a round of applause. Um, and they also talked to the audience in each city about how their needs might be specifically addressed. Because I'm just in your town for one night, usually when I'm traveling through, when that's possible. Um and these are the folks who are with you all the time. And so I, I just want to say that uh, I hope during this time that you are all um, reaching out to and looking for direct services that might be available for queer folks in your area. Oftentimes, I think as a community, we can get a little bit like celebrity focused or... Um, you know, pride parade focused. And we can forget to highlight, you know, not just that um, Schitt's Creek is amazing, groundbreaking television, but also that there are people likely in your area who might be able to provide direct services for you right now. So I hope that if you are in need, you are availing yourself of at least a, a Google search to see what might be happening around you. And um, I'm so excited to bring you this conversation with Amani. Oh, one more thing. <laughs> hey, the audiobook for Save Yourself has been getting amazing um, response. And, you know, this is a podcast. So maybe you're already audiophiles. So I just wanted to say I recorded the audiobook for Save Yourself. 
It is available on Libro.fm to benefit indie booksellers. It's also available on Audible and anywhere else you get your audiobooks. So please check it out. Check it out and then review it with a really good review. A bunch of stars. Enjoy. I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Sure, I'd be happy to. Woo. My name is Imani Rupert Gordon. <laughs> My name is Imani Rupert Gordon. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I am the executive director for the National Center for Lesbian Rights. Which is a new job for you. You have recently yes. gotten a new gig. Yeah, I just started. I've been in the job for uh, maybe what is it, maybe six weeks now? Six weeks now. So um, I started, my first day was on March 16th. And so um, it was actually the day before uh, our uh, state went on quarantine. So the first decision that I made as the executive director was for everyone to stay home. Wow, I mean- (laughs) Most people were already working home, but- um. (laughs) I was thinking before we started the interview today that just sort of about- this situation for, for you, you know, imagining myself in, in your position, not just taking a new job, but but you recently moved from Chicago to the Bay Area. And so I'm also thinking about all of the things that need to happen when, when one relocates and how complicated that would be under the current circumstances. And, you know, then also how when you're starting a new job, and especially if you're the executive director of the job, um, how probably usually one would want to call the team together and give some inspiring speeches and, you know, really let everybody know what your, what your, what your mission statement is and what you hope to achieve. And, um, and how, how are you doing right now with the adjustment under these current circumstances? Sure. So I honestly, I will, I will say that I feel very, very fortunate. Um, I, I came into this position, um, have an amazing, amazing team. Everyone has been so kind um, and really helpful with getting me up to speed um, because I want to be as helpful as I can for as long as I can. And so really trying, trying to do that. But, you know, what you said is actually something that is a huge concern of mine, and that is that I really do want to be able to support the team. And so for me, a lot of times I'm a very relationship oriented person. And so, you know, I figured what my, um, you know, my first month at this job was going to look like, what my first 90 days was going to look like. And I um, had a, a very clear idea of of, um, of what that, that plan was. And, and it's all very different. You know, right now I haven't even, I since I've been in the job, I haven't seen anyone in person. And so that's very, very new for me. So I've just tried to be really intentional with, um, you know, when our check-ins, when we are video conferencing to be just be really present and really try to catch up with folks. This is, you know, this is odd because it's my first time at a job, but it's not, but everyone is going through this. And so I think we're all feeling we're all we're all feeling this. But you know, it also gives us an opportunity. You know, we say that we want to be creative, we want to be flexible, we want to be nimble, and this is an opportunity to show how that can happen. And so um, I'm really just trying to. Uh, you know, we don't know what this is going to look like, so just try to trying to get in there mm-hmm. and just be authentic. Right. 
And before this, you were working at uh, Affinity, which is an organization that was that works on the south side of Chicago, specifically with. Uh, well, would you? I, I know you use. I know you use the word black, but do you use the word lesbian community, black lesbian community, or what is the? Talk to me about the scope of Affinity. Sure, sure. So Affinity is um, a social justice organization. It serves the entire LGBTQ community, but does it from the perspective of serving Black LGBTQ plus women. And so um, definitely lesbian is a big part of that, um, but also just being really intersectional mm-hmm. because I think when you are someone that is looking at, and this is something that I talk about a lot at NCLR too, when we're talking about the experiences of lesbians, that we're also talking about the experiences of people that experience discrimination based on gender identity. And so um, when Affinity talks about that, very specifically talks about LGBTQ people. And the work that we do at NCLR very specifically does the work for LGBTQ people, specifically experiencing gender discrimination. Oh, that is why I'm so glad you're, you know, in these jobs. Because that, because, the, oh. because, well, where was I? I was at a community college. It must have been in Portland, um, right before all this happened, I was speaking at a community college and I was talking with uh, the students there who asked me about my use of the word lesbian, like at, like as a descriptor. Like, is that something that still feels good to you at a time when, you know, that could see that could be seen as um, exclusionary based on, you know, toward folks that might be non-binary, towards Trans folks, like, are you, you know, are you, in, what, what word, how can you use this word, um, essentially? It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it didn't feel like it was, like, attacking. It felt like it was a- asking for information. And for me, I was like, well, I, for me, it feels good to use that word as a part of a lot of other words. Like, I, I, I actually really like the, the word lesbian because it, it speaks about a culture that feels like, part of a culture that I understand and a history that I understand, but I also want to add other words. Like I also really love the word queer. I also really love the word gay. Um, and I think when you take a job at something called the, you know, the National Center for Lesbian Rights, that it's, that's, you're taking it at a time when we're, our understanding of language is really evolving. And so like, whatever that meant five years ago, 10 years ago, is not necessarily what that means today, which is a good thing. Um, but I hear that already in what you're talking about, that that could be, there's an opportunity there to, um, push people out if you were a different kind of person, you know, to, to be yeah, like, this you know, is really who we're serving. And this, there's such a great need, even just within this community that's framed in this really specific way that like, there's no need to, to make it larger. And I just, I'm so glad it's, you know, you doing this work because of, the way you talk about this. Oh, I mean, I just, I just love it. And honestly, I think that it's always important to talk about um, names and how they represent you, to always have that conversation with folks. Um, for me, I never concentrate so much on the name, but more about the work that we do, you know? And I think that as long as we're continuing to talk to the community and making sure that this um, word, this name is something that still fits the work that we're doing, then that is part of the work. But for me, I'm mostly interested in the work that we do. Mm. Right. I mean, but even you saying, as long as we're making sure to talk to the community, again, it's like sometimes people that are providing a social service are, um, 
might have a different personality or different viewpoint and are working from a position of like, I know what you need. For Like, for instance, I mean, just to say, just like, for instance, the federal government right now, like just like just to toss out. Sure. Uh, just, yeah, throw out anything. just, you know, just to for 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 shits. Um, but, you know, you talking about sort of a listening approach or a community um input approaches is something that I think is going to, whenever you can meet these folks in person, it is going <laughs> to right? really astound <laughs> some people. I am really excited about that. I have had an opportunity to meet mm. some folks over uh, video conferences and having conversations about, about this, which has been um, really fun and really, and really helpful, you know, and by and large, what I hear is that people are really interested in the work mm-hmm. that we're doing. You know, by and large, that's that's what I hear overwhelmingly. But, you know, it matters that we that we do this because, you know, in the time that Affinity has been around, in the time that NCLR has been around, that we have had a better and more nuanced understanding and approach to doing this work. And we're better for that. You know, this was our organization was started because um, we saw a hole in the movement. We saw, you know, NCLR was created to be intersectional. And so. It's it's in our DNA. It's in the in our fabric to continue to move forward and make sure that we're continuing to be intersectional. And if that means changing a name, it means mm-hmm. changing a name. But also just making sure that we are opening ourselves up so that we are able to support absolutely everyone. And so, and I think that's the most important thing that we can do. Well, right. And I I also want the you know one issue about doing things like evolving the language so that it's constantly speaking to the moment is that like I, I think this is just sort of my thought also on your, on what you're talking about, um, constantly working on evolving the language sort of above all else is like, that's a job in and of itself. You know, I have recently joined, um, TikTok and I am, it is making me realize how out of step I am with the youth. And, you know, I am, I'm somebody who really does try to be ear to the ground. And I think that one complicated thing about working in any aspect with the queer community, whether it's like the way that I do podcasting and and trying to like trying to do stand up, where you're like, I hope these are any of the words, you know. But but it also <laughs> speaks to what you're talking about too. I mean, if you were like constantly updating the stationery or whatever, I probably you don't use stationery. <laughs> um, it just it doesn't necessarily speak to the the work, and so it's it's this thing that we're trying to hold both both things as as a community. Like, what's the language we want to use? Okay, but we might get the language perfect and not be doing shit. Right, right, right. And that, I mean, I think that's a really great example about what you said about doing stand-up, that you really are, you're learning, you're hearing from people and trying to say the right thing. And I think that that's really, I think it's really important, but I also think that you're also really great in the way that you're super authentic with, like, this is where my heart is and I'm trying to do the best I can. And I remember you shared with me once that you apologized and said, wow, I just didn't know that you all were here. Oh, or, yeah. you know, like that you're just so honest about that. And I think that's that's the approach we want to right. take, you know, as we're learning. Right, that story, which I don't think I've ever told on the podcast is that there's this really like, there's this awesome comic, Karen Williams is her name and she's out of Cleveland in Ohio. And she is somebody who is part of a wave of, I think she uses the word lesbian, uh, comics who couldn't necessarily get national exposure. So like a little older than Ellen, Kate Clinton is in this group of people. 
Um, anyway, this is all to say, but Karen has had an on-the-ground following for her whole existence. And so I went and I opened for her at a comedy club that was called Jokes and Notes that um, I think no longer exists in Chicago, but it was on the South Side. And the booker, Mary Lindsay, was she was this really amazing person because she was keeping this um, club going and, and it would be a 200-person room and it was constantly sold out and it was mostly Black comics, mostly Black audience members. And, you know, Chicago's such a racially segregated city. If you perform on the North Side, you as a comic, might not know Black people go see stand-up comedy because they are not getting on the L and coming to your shows in Wrigleyville. Like, it's just not happening. And so when I performed for Karen Williams, I walked in, it was like a sold-out show. Hundreds of Black lesbians, and that is what I said. I was like, I am, you know, this is my mistake. I just thought that because, like, I was looking at the demographics of my show, and I thought that that's, that, that's, that, that, that those were the demographics of my city. But, like, it's just that I actually you know, needed to expand my, where I perform and not that, um, and not that I knew who was going to see shows. Um, but yeah, that is the story there. Oh, Amani. I wouldn't, I mean, actually, hey, you know what? As long as we're like bringing up a low key topic, like racially segregated cities, um, <laughs> I, I am thinking about you, um, you know, doing this work that, supports all folks, but had, a, had an emphasis on um, the Black community. And for folks that do or don't know Chicago, it's like, it, it is, it's, it's two cities. We have two baseball teams. Like, it's two cities, you know, or many cities, but it's at least two. Um, and then I think about you moving to the Bay Area, and it's like, you know, a very similar set of circumstances, at least from, a, I've never lived there, but from when I've traveled there and when I've listened. And um I guess I just wanted to ask, like, obviously this is more of a national organization, but how do you think the positioning where you are affects the work that the organization is doing? Oh, yeah, that's a really interesting question. And yeah, that's, that's really helpful. You know, when we think about the work that NCLR does, so we really do a lot of structural change, you know, or, you know, litigating cases. And so, and so a lot of our work is, that's, that's a great deal of our work, but we also do legislation and public policy and public education. So on all of these different fronts, we're providing education and then also helping to change laws so that folks are protected and supported. And I think it's really helpful that we're um, in a state where there are, with there, there's a lot of um, LGBTQ organizations and intersectional organizations that we can work in coalition with. And so um, I think it gives us an opportunity to be a leader on a lot of this work because there's, um, because there's a lot of us with a shared value mm -hmm. here uh, that we can, that we can work in coalition with. So I think that is something that's, that's really helpful. You know, we also, we do a great deal of work, um, you know, thinking about rural pride and um, working to do some of, some of the work that we do is to provide opportunities to provide, provide resources um, for folks that are in uh, uh places in the country that have fewer resources too. And so, you know, I think that we have this multi-pronged approach where we're trying to um, create the most good, but then also work to support people in individual 
um, in, in, in places where, where there might not be as many supports. And that's something that's, that's really important because, you know, I think a lot of times we hear that some people look for, they want to see the, the root cause. They want to see structural change. And funders a lot of times will concentrate on that. Um, but I feel really strongly that though we're working to, to deal with the root causes, that we have to deal with the here and now, that we have to support the people that might not make it to the actual systems change work that we're getting to. And I don't see those things as separate. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, providing some support so that while we're getting there, that we're also helping people in the here and now. So I think I could be, I think I can even ask some more specific questions because um, I made a little video for y'all's like upcoming fundraising efforts. And so I got some, um, ah some really specific information, which was so helpful for our uh, for our purposes here today. But like some of the things that happened this year, you know, just to give listeners an understanding of the type of work that you're doing are um, that you got a law in South Carolina struck down. That law prohibited public health education in schools acknowledging that um, homosexual re- relationships exist outside of uh, STDs. So, like, the only way that homosexual relationships could be mentioned was as uh, STD risk, I'm assuming. I'm, I'm assuming nobody said have gay sex to have a lower risk for <laughs> STDs. So, that, you know, right. getting that law struck down in South Carolina, but also um, Shawnee State University. Where is this? I could look this up, but... Um, there was a professor there who was sort of hiding behind First Amendment rights to say that it was uh, his right to misgender a transgender student. So everyone else in class got called their preferred pronouns because presumably many of them were cisgendered. But the transgender student who asked for for the pronouns that were preferred, uh, the, t- the teacher said that it was his First Amendment right to misgender somebody else. And uh, mm-hmm. y'all worked against that. You also um, mm-hmm. worked to end conversion therapy in several states, including Utah and Virginia. Utah specifically, I know being so, I mean, obviously all this is, are, all these things are so important, but Utah has a super high um, suicide rate among LGBT youth. Uh, and so I can imagine that conversion therapy um, and the huge presence of the Mormon church there does not, those things, that those things might intersect in a way that, that does a lot of harm. And so I'm super, you know, grateful for that. And that you also worked in a bunch of municipalities, including Flor- places in Florida to end conversion therapy. So that's the kind of work that, that mm-hmm. y'all are doing. Um, if you want me to explain your job to you, but, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, well, oh, well. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess, you know, I guess I think we don't as a community necessarily talk about all of these sides of the movement. Um, I think we talk a lot about like, Certainly, I think most people that are in the queer community know that there is, like, if there's an LGBT center in their city or, or you know, something like that, like, that might be a little bit more. The direct services approach might be more what we're aware of. But these types of things, which are the more, um, which are, like, the higher level and maybe 
maybe they're just like less sexy than the place that you would go for your pride parade or whatever. Um, why does this specifically interest you? Yeah, that's that's a really great great question. You know, I think that a lot of times I was asking people, you know, what do you know about NCLR? And what I realized is that folks didn't always have Folks in, we're a national organization and not everyone knew about the work that we do. You know, it seems that when people know, they really know. And when they don't, they don't. And I think that a lot of times when we look at structural changes, we don't always feel as included in that. Um, and so I think we need to do a better um, a better job with our public mm. education and talking about why these things matter to us. You know, you know, there are strategies that go into this, you know, like when we, you know, like when we get marriage equality, there's a strategy that goes into that about how this happens. And I think that, you know, sometimes when we think about it, we kind of just look up and say, oh yeah, we decided that that was unfair and that's how that happened, you know, but that there is actually a lot of work that goes into that and that we all can be brought into that process. And so that is one of the things that I really want to work on while I'm at NCLR is really helping to, to have that bridge so that we understand that public education, it works in concert with um, our, our policy and advocacy work and the legislation and the litigation, that all of these things work together so that we're Find, getting protections for our community, but that we all know that we're part of that. Because the other thing is that, again, when we want to help, when we want to continue to be more intersectional and more inclusive, that means that people have to know the language we're speaking. They have to know why we're trying, how we're trying to get there, what we're doing, and also what we're leaving out. You know, a lot of times we think that we we have everything until someone just comes and tells us that that they're not represented there. And so um, that is a really important part of the of the work that we're doing at NCLR. Oh, sure. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, whew, you know, I also am thinking a lot about just because the word intersectional keeps coming up and I mean, I, I don't know, maybe this is a stretch or, or you can certainly tell me if you feel this doesn't apply, but I'm just, I'm thinking about the, like, the actual week that you and I are speaking within, um, like the actual things that have gone on you know, so I think this will go out on Monday. So we're speaking on Friday, the actual things that have sort of gone on in the news this week. And um, this is a this is a week where uh, unarmed black men being shot is a is in our news cycle nationally right now. Again, and I think about. Um, Think about the way that, like, that has been coming more to the forefront of a a national conversation that white people are paying any attention to, some attention to, you know, right now. And um, how that also is, you know, as I think about the types of laws that, that we need to be making and the types of inclusion that we need to do within the queer community. I just think so much about how we really have a presence in, we really have a, a presence in, in moments like that. We have, as a, as a queer family, we get to be, we, we are inclusive of all marginalized communities because all, People from all marginalized communities are with, are within our family, and that that 
you know, when I see news stories like that, I'm always trying to figure out how, as a queer person, to approach the overlap of marginalization and also speak to the things that I don't know anything about. You know, like just acknowledge, not speak to, but acknowledge the things I don't know anything about. And when I look at um, why it would be helpful for somebody like you to lead an organization like this right now, like it just, to me, I think personal identity um, matters a lot in leadership. I'm curious about your take on that. To me, I think that it, it, you know, it matters that these are, that you, that you are part of multiple communities. That matters to me as a person in our queer family. Curious to what you would say about that. Yeah, well, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I think it's always really important that we don't mistake presence for power. And so, and I, and I say that, I say that often, you know, that we want to make sure that representation is important, but it's not everything. So, and I like to say that because it's not that you can, you know, like I'm the, um, I believe I'm the first black um, executive director for the National Center for Lesbian Rights. Um, but that in itself isn't revolutionary. You know, it matters what I do once I'm there, you know, and that like I have to earn the trust of my community. And so, um, but what I think is important in the part that you're speaking to is that representation, it starts us off at a place where we might include more people. And I think that's what, I think that's what represent, representation mm-hmm. gives us. And that's actually, and that's actually will get you further than you think just about thinking about the ways that we do our work. You know, there's so much that we put all this thought into, but there's things that happen all the time, just like a tweet that goes out, just like thinking about something that would only happen because of your lived experience. And I think providing that perspective is something that's really helpful. And you know, like when we, um, and I think part of this, we've been talking about intersectionality a lot. I think um, the part of this that's really important is that when we talk about being intersectional, to recognize that what we are what we're talking about is the structures and the systems in place. Because sometimes we talk about intersectionality and I think people assume that we're talking about people with multiple underrepresented identities. So, oh, this is a person of color and this is um, uh, and this is a um, transgender person and this is a person from a low income and we start looking at those things. But that's not actually what intersectionality is. You know, I, I was trying to think if I'm going to, how far in the woods I'm going to get on this. Do it, go, but... <laughs> show us, tell us the things. All right, yes. you, Okay, you asked for it. Okay. (laughs) Well, okay, so when we talk about intersectionality, this was a term that was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. And um, this was, and this was coined in 1989. So it's actually not a new term, even though, exactly. Yeah, 1989. It's like I mean, what is that? Like third? Uh, we had we had very yeah, different like views on this. I was yeah, like, right. that was that's like yesterday. You're like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like that. anyway. Keep, keep going. Yes, tell me, tell me. Well, no, no, no. But but I say that because we it we talk about it like it's a buzzword. Mm-hmm. It's the answer for everything. Oh, it's this thing we talk about, and I think many people think it's something that just came up a, mm-hmm. a few years ago when it's actually been around for a long time. And and the experience has been around longer than that, even though this is the name that we, that we use for it. But um, specifically, um, um, she was talking about what had happened in a particular case where this woman, Emma de Graffenried, um, had been laid off at her job. And the place that she worked, um, they wouldn't hire women. To, it was um, General Motors, and they wouldn't hire women to work on the assembly line. And um, they wouldn't hire women to work on the assembly line. And they would hire women to work in more... It, administrative or public facing positions, but 
they didn't hire any black women. So potentially they would have, but they hadn't hired any. So they had a policy against hiring women in particular positions and then sort of a practice about hiring, um, not hiring them in the other positions. So basically you have virtually no black women working. There's like like one sole black woman working like um, in the custodial department or something like that. But um, anyway, when they go and when... Um, uh, she later gets hired after the laws change and women can work for basically longer than nine hours, longer than eight hours. They, um, and, and that allows women to work on the assembly line. Now that women can work on the assembly line, GM hires women in all parts of the company. Um, a few, uh, a little while later when they, um, uh, when they have to make some cuts, lay some people off, the, the last one's hires are the first one's fired. So then all the black women, along with some other people, um, got laid off. And their argument was that if I could have been hired earlier, then I wouldn't have been someone that was, I wouldn't have been laid off. And because there are wow. employ- employment protections in place, um, they figured that, okay, um, they, they, she figured that this wouldn't be a thing. But turns out the judge said, you know, it's not actually fair that you can say that you're experiencing both racism and sexism because black men can't do it and what these white women can't do it. But they never thought about the fact that this particular black woman experienced a special kind of racism and a special kind of sexism. And so, um, and so she experienced both of these things. And so she needed to be supported in a particular way that they just didn't do. And so, um, when we talk about intersectionality, what we're talking about is actually those systems that are in place. So supports that are supposed to be there that that are actually not there because of your particular identities. And so immigrant was actually someone that fell through the cracks because we thought we these systems were protecting for, these policies were protecting, and it didn't actually protect her. And so when we talk about intersectionality, we're talking about the systems in place that support everyone. And the difference here is when we talk about like multiple jeopardy, and that's something that's a whole different, um, that's whole different black feminism. But um, that's that was something by that was uh, a term that was coined by Deborah King that talks about the different the different ways that we have um, that we experience oppression, like racism and sexism and classism um, and ableism and all of these things. But she talks about them in terms of um, that there are. Uh, multiplicative, so that this is, it's sexism that's multiplied um, by racism, that's multiplied by classism, that we do experience all of these things. And at every level, like every part of my Blackness is also interacting with my gender as well. And so it's not addition, it's actually multiplication. And so these things are complicated, they're related, but they're not the same. And so, and I say all of this because, because you're asking about like how much representation matters. And it matters a great deal because it gives us a starting point to say, how can we include the most people? So, and when we're including the most people, how can we start from, from, how can we start from the folks that are the most vulnerable, the most underrepresented, and look at all the different ways that someone might be experiencing oppression and then finding systems in finding systems that we can put in place that will support all of these people. Because when we do it this way, everyone is brought up from it. But if we just start with the people that are the most, um, that are most privileged in our group, then we end up with a situation like Emma DeGraff and Reed, where um, there are systems in place, but they actually don't, pe- they don't protect everyone because of their multiple identities. Well, that was a very good answer. <laughs> Also, multiplicative, well, multiplicative is, is such a nice word to hear, you know? It just is. That's just true. Um, 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever said it's it actually. Sa- I mean, so. well, oh, it came, you know, it just came trippingly off the tongue. So I feel like it's went oh. great. If that was your first, okay, perfect, that was perfect. your first rodeo, nailed it out the gate. Um, <laughs> Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! You know, sometimes I feel like as, well, not sometimes, you know, it's just true that as like, as a queer person and as a woman and also like as a woman that is displaying masculinity, I do feel a real, I have something I think that I really benefit from is some understanding of marginalization and also the ways Mm -hmm. in which different types of marginalization intersect. Um, And I, you know, that's something I really appreciate about my experience is that um, I at least have like some understanding of what other people are talking about, you know? And I think we don't necessarily Mm -hmm. talk about that enough in the queer community, how like this is a superpower that we have is is to like Mm -hmm. access the, feelings of marginalization and to, you know, hold the door open for those who have, who, who have experiences we can actually relate to, you know, I just, I feel like that's, um, it's just always something I'm a little bit grateful for. Sometimes it also means that I don't know what to do with that feeling, you know, like I'll be like, I, I, I really want to say, you know, that I, like that I, I, you know, I want to, sometimes I want to say to friends that, might be more affected by something like I understand that I just want to say I am aware that this is happening and I know it affects me less, but I just want you to know I see a part of it, you know, just to at least be able to show up and have any participation uh, for the people that I care about and love, but it is complicated within our, within our community. I think that these things are complicated. It is, but I think you do a really good job of that. You know, I know that you've reached out um, to me when things have when things have happened, and it's been like just a scary time for our community. And you've just reached out to ask me if I was okay. And honestly, I can't even say how much that that meant to me because um, in the positions I'm in, I don't often have that. And so that was actually like so. It, I remember it just meant so much to me. It was so kind, and I really felt that. And I feel like. You know, I I think that you do do that, which I think is really great. You know, and um, and I also think that you are able to speak to things. Like I I remember I read something a few weeks ago that you were writing on one of your social media accounts, and you said something like, basically, people were telling you you weren't rich enough or something. <laughs> yeah, I did get really. 
I did get really, I got really patrolled. <laughs> wow. Because I missed that. I didn't, I didn't see all of that happen. I just saw your response, which was so, you had so much grace, um, you know, recognizing that you're a public figure, that people are learning when you write mm. something. Um, but that also, um, you know, it doesn't help us for people to sort of define how you walk through the world. And I thought you did a really good job of expressing that and then um, and then offering some grace that that you didn't have to offer to people, but it was a kindness that you did, um, that maybe someone learned something that it wasn't your job to teach them, but you did but you did take that opportunity. And I just thought it was really, it was really kind oh, of you. thank you. You know what? I actually see that. I thank you for saying that. That means a lot coming from you because I see that, you know, you, you do a lot of teaching as well. And like, I mean, you just did it, that like very long and beautiful explanation. And so I really appreciate you um, noticing that. I, I will say like, yeah, that was a funny one. I mean, only because we, we can't see ourselves as, as other people see us, you know? And I feel like my experience of life has, has been people being like um, a lot of information about, um, I've gotten a lot of information that I was not feminine enough. And it's also mm. interesting to get information that I am not masculine enough. Then I think... Um, you know, I totally get that. Like, if you're in, if you make a you know decision to for for a career pursue a, a public invisible space, that sometimes people might just forget that you're like a uh, just a human being that's like trying to synthesize information, but also your sense of self. And sometimes those things are in conflict, and it's that's a weird thing to um, it's a weird thing to just like navigate. I also had somebody listen to the this podcast recently and then sort of comment on, um, I was talking about like body dysmorphia and, uh, had got some feedback that like, I'm actually too thin to experience body dysmorphia. So I just want to say to everyone out there, thank you so much because honestly I have been experiencing body dysmorphia, but now that I know I'm too thin to experience that, I will go ahead and stop. <laughs> You know, you know, it's like, I just didn't know. I didn't know that I could call it off. But, but now, now I have, have this information, information, so I can. So, and I mean, that's the part that's, that is the part that is so hard. And I'm so glad that, you know, for you, like, you can see the ridiculousness of this. And sometimes that's really hard for people, especially, like, as, you know, a lot of folks are looking for this, for our queer community, because they haven't been accepted other mm -hmm. places. And then, you know, if this is what you're coming into, that can be really, really difficult. You know, if we could just ex ex accept that people have their own experiences and that they are the best person to know what that is, <laughs> you know? And that if you could just, you like, and the thing is, when you ask folks, they'll tell you, they'll, they'll tell you, like who, like, who they are and what they need, you know? And and if they can't, then we can actually, we can, we can help folks practice that, too, because that's what mm. we want, you know? It doesn't help you. It doesn't help um, that someone tells you that this actually is not the term that you should be using for yourself, you know, as if they understand what you, like, what your experience is. And it's so... You know, I'm glad that that um, you have enough support in your life, but you know, I hate that other folks don't. That's such you know? a good like, point. That's that such is a, such a good point. You know? I really appreciate you saying that. I also want to go back to what you just said, which is that you know, when you're like the 
you know, the top of the pyramid or whatever, when you're the, you know, the executive director, you're the person who runs, you know, affinity service. And you, you, you don't necessarily get to receive all of the services. And I mean, at least that's sort of what I heard and what you said that, um, and then also, you know, I'm thinking about when you said it doesn't so much matter my identity, it matters, you know, what I do next. And I'm like, I'm just like, friend, this sounds like pressure, you know, and I, I just want to ask what you do. Like, how, how, how do you stay grounded amidst that? What are you doing to help yourself? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Um, because that is a practice as well. You know, for me, it's um, one of the things I had to work through is that I work in a community, I work now, and I have worked for some time in a community that I serve. And so um, much of the work, the, the reason that we're able to be successful in the work that we do is often because we're also, um, we're also working with some sort of social supports or some sort of representation where people can see themselves represented or feel themselves represented, you know? So, um, so that's, that's something that's, that's really important. But for me, I have to figure out, okay, how do I get the same support or enjoy this the same way when I'm actually working doing that? And it's, you know, there's, there's something that's, that's different there. And so, you know, honestly, I feel like um, Affinity did an amazing job with bringing me in. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting it, but there were so many folks there that, um, that, you know, I come in to lead this organization and there are these um, older black mm. women who are telling, like, are, that are, that are there for me, you know, that are telling me about my experience, are, are telling me about the things they've done and they want to see the things that I've done because they feel, they feel some pride in that, which is really amazing. And I, and I hadn't experienced that before, you know, um, folks that it's just like, you know, I've had people who say, oh, we share this part of our identity. So we have this, these things in common, um, but have been, um, but haven't always been all that kind to me either, you know? And so I felt like when I was at Affinity, um, I was able to connect to some really amazing people. Um, that was really, really wonderful. And then when I came to NCLR, I actually felt this warmness right, right away. You know, I feel like they um, immediately understood stood um, what I was bringing to the table and um, they've been so so kind to me and um, and the way in the ways that I've done things that are that are different you know and um, folks reaching out and saying that they appreciate my leadership very early on which has been which has been so incredibly helpful so those things help keep me grounded in the job but it's also really nice to have some fun stuff that I do <laughs> outside and so um, I'm, I try to spend more time with that because I haven't always been great um, but if for folks that um, sort of knew me over the past year, like what I have spent a lot of time on is that I, well, I've since moved, but I built a purple. <laughs> and <laughs> What? Tell me more. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so I built a pergola. A pergola is like, it's like an open air structure. It's like a gazebo. Um, yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about. It's like yeah. rectangular <laughs> shaped though, right? It is. It is. So in there, they can look uh, a lot of ways. Mine was a really modern, cute, uh -huh, cute okay. one. Uh, All right. Okay. <laughs> but I had this idea about wanting to build a pergola. I've always wanted to build something um, for my home, you know, and um, I, I was just like, I want to build a pergola. And it's, and what came up, what came up for me is that I have, I have a lot of support in my life. I have a lot of support in my life. And when I was saying that I wanted to build this pergola, I had so many people like saying, really, is that something you can do? Or um, like, or like, 
it was really, it was, it hurt my feelings, honestly, um, because it was something I really, really wanted to do. Um, and I had never built anything, but I was trying to remind people, you know, we do hard things <sighs> all the time, you know, all the time. There are things that, there are things that I do in my life. They, I mean, like the ways that they tug in my heart, like the blood, sweat and tears that go into the actual work that I, that I, that I do. This is like picking some wood, like a moderate <laughs> amount of math hammer, hammer, and you got it. And the thing is, yeah, it was hard. Like the wood was really, really heavy. And um, I had to get a lot of tools to make this done, but it did it and it's done and it's beautiful. And it was so wonderful that I, I loved being able to do that because I knew that I could. I knew that I could and I told myself I could, even though people around me, they said that they, they said that I couldn't, but I think it meant that they couldn't, you know? And, and, and it was so wonderful to just... To, it's so lovely to know yourself like that and to give yourself the space to do something. And if it didn't work out, that would be okay too. But it did work out. And what that and what that opened up to me is that I can build something if I want to. And I really, really enjoyed doing that. I really just love doing that. And it just, it opened my mind to like all of these other things. And so right now I'm I moved from Chicago, and so there's a lot of projects that are going on right now. But one of the things I'm doing, I play electric guitar, and I'm building an electric guitar right now. Um, it's a kit, which um, makes it a little bit easier. But I'm going to build a couple of kits, and then I'm going to—I'm—I mean, well, now now I live in an apartment, and I don't have a garage, but I'm going to build a guitar, and I'm so excited about this. And I—it's um, just so much fun because the thing is. And this is what I try to say with the work that we're doing. You know, just because something has never been done doesn't mean that we can't do it. You know, that we have to give ourselves space to go through and figure out how to do this because that's how we're going to build. That's how we're going to build our leadership. That's how we're going to build our movement. And that's how I'm going to build a guitar. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is a great set of answers. Wait, I have some follow-up questions. They don't need to be they're – yes. they're very specific and short. Number one, a pergola. So – does it have vines on it? How do you, is it shady? How, cause it's, cause it's yeah, like yeah. slats, right? It's like slats of wood. Like it's not like an actual yes, yes. canopy of any sort. So what do you, what are you doing? You're doing some planting up there? Right. So no, I like no vines. That's not really nope, my she's aesthetic. A, she's a it's vine more, free person. More, but yes. It's just like, exactly vine free, just kind of straight lines. Um, but it's, uh, you're going to send me a picture. picture. I can't wait. Uh, okay, great. <laughs> I am, yeah, yeah. But no, it's a, um, but there are, there are boards going across. It's like, um, it's 14 feet by 10 feet. Um, and I'm trying to think how, how high it was. It was, I think it's, I think it's 10 and feet so high. The, the, the vibe I mean, of it is like, is like being within a structure. Like that's like, like the, like the, the thing that you were going for is like, I want to sit under a thing that I've made and chill out in there. That's the goal and purpose of a pergola. <laughs> yes. Well, well, it was part of a larger goal, and that was to have a an outdoor hot tub. Okay. Um, and so, and so, finally, the outdoor hot tub happened, and I wanted the pergola to be under this mm. structure um, because when I had originally had that dream, I lived in California, and an outdoor hot tub is a different experience when you live in California versus when you live in Chicago. And so, I wanted to have a structure of some sort. Um, just to make that a little bit more more pleasant, what I was saying. Well, I can't wait to check in with you in the future and you're building your own hot tub. So, okay. And then you play electric guitar. Um, do you play electric guitar like in the hobby zone or have you ever played in a different in a different zone than a hobby zone? 
Certainly in the mm-hmm. hobby zone. Certainly in the hobby zone. And and that's where it would stay as well. That's not um, what I, I, I enjoy playing, um, but I don't enjoy in playing for, I don't enjoy playing for people. Like I enjoy like, like playing around with it. My wife, like, uh, loves hearing me play and she likes falling asleep to hearing me play. It's really oh. sweet. Um, which is, which is really nice. Cause I know a lot of people as they're learning to play that their partners are like going the other way and close <laughs> the door. And, uh, my wife has been so kind, you know, all the times that I've, you know, like learned songs, like she has made up, made up words to already existing songs. Like she'll, mm-hmm. um, go to sleep to, to listening to me play. So it is really, it's really nice. And I just, I, I really just like playing it. And, um, I don't know what to, how to describe like an electric guitar because I, I haven't played a whole lot of acoustic guitars. I just, and I keep looking at mine. I just think they're really, I think they're really pretty. Um, but the amp I have too, it's like, um, you can kind of feel this. I don't know how to describe it. It's this warmth, but you can, like, it's a tube amp and I don't know how to describe it, but you can feel, you can feel it differently. And it's just, it's just such a lovely feeling. I just love, I just love doing oh, it. It's man, just so much fun. I can't believe yeah. my electric guitar was stolen when I lived in Chicago, and so therefore I will never get to jam with you. <sighs> now, as some additional backstory, I had gotten it 10 years yes. earlier and basically only learned to play Jewel songs, so I'm not sure we wouldn't <laughs> I'm sure we would have been jamming anyway. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, I think we could have. I haven't... I'm trying to think if I know any Jewel songs. Well, I haven't thought about Jewel well, in Well, so who has? But I, what I'm saying is I did all the learning up top, and then I discarded it from, our, from apartment to apartment. Because, you know, when you bring somebody home and you have a... Actually, I've got a guitar propped right behind me. Look at that. There's that's, uh, Behind that chair, there's a guitar prop. You know? Can I play know? that guitar? <laughs> not really. <laughs> not the point. That's not, not what the, the point. guitar's there. <laughs> um, you know, what? one thing I hear sort of in what you were talking about and is, you know, and asking you, okay, so like, what are you doing? Sounds like you do some things that are just for you, which is rad. And that, that does seem like something... Um, that would help anybody in, you know, that works in like a high level service position or any service position. I, I too have been trying to, I didn't know that was important to like very recently. I kind of thought that I thought for some reason, I thought because I chose a job that other people think is fun. Like when people are like, this is a fun job, you know, like, but I'd be like, <laughs> yes, I'm having fun, but I would just forget I'm at work. Um, so it is, you know, I, I'm very happy to hear that it sounds like you've sort of cracked that code of having some things that are just for you. And I also hear, you know, in you talking about, you know, coming into an organization and finding warmth around you, um, mentorship, you know, I hear that being another way that you've sort of been able to continue. And and something that's interesting about that is that I don't know, you know, I think it takes humility to approach a job with mentorship when you're coming in as the boss, you know, like, or with, with an eye to mentorship, toward mentorship, when you're trying to look for the people around you to give you um, information. I mean, this is, this is a way that I feel myself constantly challenged. I just sort of talked about it, like, as a very silly example, going somewhere, you know, like, suddenly I'm in the world of TikTok and I'm like, oh, these people are younger than me. And instead of being like, so fuck them, you know, being like, oh, maybe there's like something here to learn about, you know, not necessarily presuming that um, Asian experience means that I know everything. Um, Mm -hmm. But that is, you know, that's an unusual approach, I think. I think that's, I think that's not necessarily how we're sort of 
when we think when we talk about the working world, it's like you want to be the boss, and once you're the boss, then you order people around. Like that's the more common perception, I think. Yeah, that is what people think, and I think, and that is so silly and uh, and not effective, you know. Um, I, I come to an org, and I think this happens with with all of us. You know, when we come to an organization, there's things we know and there's things that we don't. And you know, when you have folks around who, you know, like I think everyone's been in a situation where you've where you've worked with someone who has not been supportive and has really hurt your confidence. And so, um, there's a lot that I will do to um, really make sure that I'm not hurting the confidence of, of people that I'm working with, um, because I think that that's there. That's really important. And I've been telling um, folks that, like when I said that I've been having these these um, video conferences, I think one of the I think one of the most detrimental things that you can do is actually. Um, mm-hmm. is actually like watch someone's confidence, is, is, is hurt someone's confidence. Because once someone starts second guessing themselves, that's when you lose the magic. And I sincerely believe that we all have something to bring. We have, some, have something to teach. We have something to learn. And we can't get to a place where you, where you hurt someone so much wow. that they are not comfortable sharing the brilliance they have. Because that's what we have. I'm a big team person. I'm a big relationship person. And so when you let everyone be brilliant, then you're going to be brilliant there. And so what I try to bring to the organization is be really clear about about what it is that I'm bringing and be really clear about the things that I don't know. You know, there are very specific things that I want my team to make sure that I'm caught up with so that I can best support them. And knowing that there are going to be things that I'm not going to be the best person to talk about, to be the best thought partner on. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that I'm not good at my job. That doesn't have to, that doesn't have to hurt my ego at all. In fact, I want folks to seek out other people. Like, I think that's what's going to make, that's what's going to make our organization and then our movement. You know, I also tell our our team and, you know, like I've said this with with everyone that I've had my meetings with so far, you know, when it no longer makes sense for you to work here, that you will have my absolute support in getting you to whatever that next level is. And I feel really important. I feel like that's really important because I've been in a situation where I haven't felt that much support when I was moving to the next level, whereas um, all the things that, you know, my previous supervisor um, had taught me, like, those things would move on. And then, but I've also had amazing um, people that I've worked with, amazing supervisors that have made me so much better. And I bring them with me when I go somewhere else. And so I want to be part of making the organization that I work with better and making sure that we're doing things, but I want to do that so that we're making our movement better. And so when it no longer makes sense for our for a person to be in this particular um, position, then I want to help them get to that next place. And I think that that is, I think that that's the other part of this movement work is that um, like I want to be in a position for as long as it makes sense for me to be there. And when I don't have as much to give, um, then I want to make sure that I'm, I'm letting someone else learn because not only do you give to um, a position, but it teaches you something too. And there's a lot of people that deserve that knowledge that comes from that comes from being in an organization. And so, um, I think that those are all parts of the things that I think about when you know working with. I the mean, team. I took I keep taking like notes on what you're saying because I just well, I just I feel like I want to come back to some things that you that you're mentioning that I think are, you know, as you were talking, I'm like felt very struck by you saying hurt someone's confidence because I'm thinking about like how systemic that is just within our community based on the nature of you know very few of us have had the experience of everyone in our life as we learned who we are 
believing we knew ourselves. You know, very, it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, about like the, the word choice. You know, very few of us will walk through life without being questioned on our self-knowledge. That's just, it's like, it's yeah. just, it's like, that's our, that's perhaps our largest shared experience is this like, mm. that we are questioned, you know, for, for whatever it is, gender identity or the particular expression of that gender identity or our sexuality or whatever it is. And, um, you know, so I think about the hit to the confidence of the whole community, you know, and, and historically and sharing that and carrying that all together. And like, um, yeah, no kidding. We need a parade. No kid, we, we, we need a few parades, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, because, we do. Uh, we do. because that is, uh, one thing I'm grateful for in that area is that when you're challenged about your self-knowledge, get to revisit it and go, is that true? And, you know, you get to come out the other side where maybe some mm -hmm. folks that are experience a greater face value acceptance don't get to, you know, spend that time with themselves, but it still sucks. That's like quite a mark to carry, to be challenged in that way and to be a, an entire community of people whose confidence has been hurt in that way. That's amazing. To the, yeah. It's amazing we yeah. were able to do anything at all, you know, being being challenged you know, like that. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, I mean, I think everyone knows what that's like. I mean, it's yeah. I'm. I mean, I, I I work really hard to make sure that I don't contribute to that. Well, shit. Thanks for doing that. It's like sort of time in the podcast to ask about a queero. Oh, which I forgot to warn you about because we're on <laughs> Zoom times and. Uh, so there, there's a part of the podcast where I ask a person to shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made them feel like they can uh, be who they are today. And I was wondering if you would like to shout out a queero. Sure, sure. You know, honestly, I have I have so many queeros. I I I wouldn't even know. You know, when I I heard your podcast before, I've just said, oh, who would my queero be? You know, um, always, always. Always so many, but I would say that um, my queeros would be my parents, is what I would say. Um, they're they're good ones, honestly. Um, my um, I grew up in a house with a lot of love, and um, I grew up. I I you know when I came out, um, I never thought that my parents. You know, everyone has their own things coming out, but I never thought that my parents would stop love, loving me. You know, and um, and I, not everyone has that has that experience and I feel so incredibly fortunate. Um, my, I grew up with a lot of love. I grew up with uh, parents telling me that they're proud of me a lot, you know, and that very much impacted the way that I thought I could work through, walk through the world, but the work that I thought that I would be able to do as well. And so um, that I would say that was my queer, you know, like they, they support me and made me feel okay to be the person that, that I am, which is really, which is really lovely. Um, I mean, I mean, you know, so I would say my parents also, I think everyone knows my sister and I are very, very close. Um, she worked at NCLR for a number, a number of years and she actually did this work so that she could, um, she said that she wanted to make my life better. Um, so she's amazing. I also have a wife who's incredible. It makes my life Wait, better I just every day. Wanna, I have I a lot of love in my life. Tiny second, your sister who worked at... <laughs> NCLR is a straight identified person. She is. Yes. Yes. 
That's some, I know. That's some, I know. That's that. You know what? <laughs> I know. I know. She's awesome too. Like that. That is. She does that is amazing really work. Wonderful. Um, yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. Hey, will you tell her thanks for me too? <laughs> you know, we'll do. Yeah. She'll love to hear it. <laughs> um, Amani, I uh, really enjoyed talking to you, and I, you know, can't wait to keep in touch as things move into you know the new zone of you actually being able to you know have that impact that that we'll all maybe get to have again in person i know you're doing an amazing job running things remotely but come on you know like there's there's that synergy that's going to help out too so yeah it will help well thank you thank you so much yeah really thank you so much